everyone out there thinking about starting a podcast, let me tell you this. When we switched to remote podcasting six years ago, it was a headache. Multiple pieces of software, inconsistent sound quality, and honestly, nearly impossible to bring in guests, let alone record video. Then we discovered Zencaster. Zencaster gives us studio quality recording, including video up to 4K, and distribution to podcast players that support it. We've consolidated our podcasting efforts, doing everything from recording to publishing in a single platform. And now having guests on has become a breeze. Zencaster is about making the podcasting experience as easy as possible, including local recording, automatic post-production, which we love, and no outside software needed to record, publish, and episode. I honestly cannot imagine recording remotely without Zencaster. So if you're interested, go to Zencaster.com slash pricing and use our code BGA you'll get 30% off your first three months of Zencaster Professional. We want you to have the same easy experience we do for all our podcasting and content needs. It's time to share your story. Gamers Anonymous, the podcast about board gamers and the insane fun we have at the table together. This is Chris. Hey, and this is Anthony. And this is Will. And this is episode 395, Basics and Beyond of D&D. We'd like to thank all of our Patreon backers for helping us bring you a brand new episode. Well, welcome friends to joining us this week at the table. And this week we're talking about role-playing games, RPGs, and especially D&D and how they've transformed everything that we do these days. So whether it's tabletop gaming, miniature gaming, or of course, all those great RPGs that you get to the table, or you watch on Stranger Things, because clearly that's a thing. There's a lot of RPG gaming going on out there. So for this week's episode, we're going to reintroduce you into role-playing games so that you can find out if there is a unique indie or if you want to get involved in the heavy, hardcore, fun stuff of Dungeons & Dragons. So we'll be taking it from the very beginning, out into all the different configurations and collaborations out there, to the final big, big daddy of them all, D&D. So that's why we have our friend Will here this week. So Will, we're so glad that you're joining us here this week. And Will is our RPG expert. So you will know everything you need to know about RPGs so you can sound cool when talking to other people at the t- gaming table and hopefully finding some great RPGs to add to your group. So with that said again, Will, thank you so much for joining us this week and talking about RPGs. Oh yeah, thanks for having me. It's uh, looks like it's going to be a good time. <laughs> Absolutely. So again, whatever your game happens to be, there might be something great out there that you might be able to take the next step and go in a little bit deeper into the role-playing category. So with that, Will, can you tell us about what role-playing games are all about? Sure. I think I would describe it as almost all role-playing games at their bare bones is, you know, some sort of rule system, you know, a book or 
something like that. Um, usually a story or some sort of system, a world perhaps, um, often including dice. Uh, the old school version would be pen and paper, writing things down, little numbers on sheets. Um, these days, a lot of them are more digital, but uh, yeah, it's really interesting now because there's everything from solo games that can be played by yourself to games that can be played with hundreds of people simultaneously. So the barriers and definitions have changed quite a bit over time. Excellent. So obviously, Anthony and I, we, we've played some role-playing games, um, part of our history and what got us into gaming. Anthony, what about you? So like, what was what's your what's your RPG D&D gaming history as far as that's concerned? Yeah, I mean, it's... So it's been off and on, you know, it's it's one of those things that I grew up in a f- religious household in the late 80s. And uh, as we've all seen on Stranger Things, uh, some, <laughs> some parents were very adamant that role playing games were not OK. So mm-hmm. for me, it was like a rebellious thing to do in middle school and high school. And but also scary. I don't know. It was weird. So I didn't, didn't really get into it, like legitimately join a campaign, play with people until like my junior, senior year of high school. Um And then it was, you know, just like all my friends, we were off in a cabin and we spent like the full weekend just going through a campaign that one of my friends had written. Um, And so that was a blast. And, you know, I dabbled off and on after that in college. And then uh, later when we started gaming at Myriad, I think I got back into it more. Probably the most I have as an adult. Um, Went through two or three campaigns there. Well, I'd say campaigns. (laughs) Multi-session attempts at campaigns. So. It's been a while, though, because it just haven't been in a group or with a group or been able to do that. And certain RPGs don't click with me. And so like in Pittsburgh, I had friends that were running like Call of Cthulhu campaigns very well run. It just wasn't for me. It's just not something I was interested in doing. Um, I mean, I was interested in doing it. I just ended up not having as much fun with it. So these days, the only role playing I've really done is with my kids. So my 11 and seven year olds are especially the 11 year old is all about it because of stranger things. And, uh, you know, we tried out no thank you evil when they were younger and now we're giving dungeons and dragons a go, but with some heavy modifications so that the seven year old can participate and have fun. Um, and it is a lot of fun. I mean, we probably need another person or two. I'm trying to drag my wife into it, but <laughs> we're, we're having good fun and I've never DM'd anything before. Not that I'm proper DMing anything, but, you know, it's still fun to kind of guide them through it and mess with them as much as you can when they're children. <laughs> so it's it's a good time. I wish I had uh, engaged more over time, but it, it is hard to find groups. That's true. I think that's the main the main thing. And, and again, like you said, Anthony, that started from a very fear based. Kind of misunderstanding of what Dungeons and Dragons was. And I know for me in my history, this was a movie came out before it was really in my consciousness or in my circles, but mazes and monsters with uh, Tom Hanks was the kind of like the satanic panic kind of movie where Tom Hanks plays this young person who's so disillusioned and mentally broke from life and from the game. He actually thinks he's the character and he's going to harm himself. And it's, it's a tremendously painful (laughs) watching experience, but it's also kind of, sad and funny at the same time that you know these games were seen as having such tremendous hold over people and confusion and doubt i mean again looking at that now comparison to a lot of the other things that's happening these days 
I don't know what people were thinking, but they were really scared. So that that was seriously a thing. And I think for me, the first session, I guess the first sessions I've ever played of D&D, I think was Advanced Dungeons Dragons Second Edition. And it was it was kind of revolutionary. Like that, you know, that storytelling element that you grew up with as kids. And now you could participate in that story development. And, you know, there was dice rolling, so there was chance involved with it. And you can mitigate some of it. But again, it was a very unique scenario situation. And I fell in love with the story story that you could build, the narrative, the world building that came along with the character creation. And I remember, like you said, Anthony, like even though I didn't have a group, I collected, I can't tell you, countless numbers of source books from all different systems. I still have them. They were They were so amazing to read through because like, if you read a wonderful sci-fi or fantasy novel, you get the story, but you never get the character details, you know, and you got the character details in this. And it was just, and I remember having all these different ones from Marvel to, I think even Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles was part of another system way back in the day, but there was just so many different systems that were out there and available and the monster books were great. And even to this day, even though I've, done D&D in a couple different places and some independent stuff along the way it's never been unfortunately that consistent group where you get to the table every week and kind of build that narrative which I'm really jealous of you know of people who've been able to do that for in some cases over years it's it must be an amazing kind of campaign system and when the new fifth edition came out D&D because I had played 3.5 and I had played four and it was cumbersome to say the least but when 5th edition came out, I think everyone was excited and happy, and I collected all those books again and have not played yep. them, but I read through them, and they're still fun to read through. So even if you don't have a group, even if you don't have the time for you know a significant RPG, obviously there's Pathfinders, a lot of one-shots and things like that, but the books are really fun. So I, I will give thumbs up to the books, the source books, the monster books, things like that. Um, yeah, that's that's generally my history. How about you, Will? Yeah, so uh, a lot of similar themes. I will say uh, I grew up also in a very conservative religious household, and it, it was a little after, like, D&D is Satan, which was nice. But <laughs> I didn't really get into it until, I mean, I, I think I played a one-shot with a friend of mine in high school when it was, like, 3.5, and it was, the thing that appealed to me the most was, like, it's the rule of cool. Like, if there is a thing you want to do, you can probably do it. Um, and that was really fun when, especially when I was in high school and there was sort of an escapism to it. Um, but yeah, I kind of was off the grid with it for a long time. And then when I was in community college, I actually accidentally stumbled into a group of friends and we watched this really, really terrible low budget film on Netflix called the gamers dorkness rising. Um, <laughs> if you haven't had the pleasure, you should watch it. It's fantastic. Um, but it was just an entire movie made by a bunch of tabletop gaming nerds who acted out the campaign that they were playing in this like meta way. So like they play themselves and then they play them their own characters. It was mm -hmm. super interesting. And all of us watched the movie and we quoted it to each other in that way that, you know, younger people did. And then it kind of just became this thing of like, you know, maybe we could actually play Dungeons and Dragons. And we, all kind of sat around it for a while and eventually someone volunteered to run it. And it was really a lot of fun. You know, it was, it didn't last super long and it was, you know, uh, kind of fraught in its own way, but we just gotten played 4E and had a good time. And 
I really kind of chased after that experience for quite a while and, you know, would try to join gaming groups wherever I went and all of those things and tried out all these other different systems. You know, I think the thing that appeals to me is like, I'm a huge lore nerd for like any fictional universe out there effectively. And like, that's there for you, right? There's like these whole like decades long books of like Star Wars. If you want to play Star Wars, you know, there's almost any reasonably sized uh, video game that you like has some sort of RPG associated with it. Um, and that was a really big thing for me. And, you know, I kind of tried a lot of things and then eventually it sort of became part of both my personal and professional life. So like I run games as part of my job, but then also I have DM'd a campaign that's now about to hit its two year anniversary just now. Um, and then I'm in a game that is just about to celebrate its one year anniversary. So it's been fun. I still feel jealous though of those people that have even longer campaigns. So I don't know <laughs> if that goes away after a point, but. No, it's fantastic. And, and I guess, you know, I want to also mention too, because it would be unfair not to, I mean, there's, as you mentioned, Will, there's so many different content creators on YouTube and even before that, that really kept the torture alive, right? Mm-hmm. You know, um, I, I remember the guild with Felicia, Felicia Day, I believe. Yeah, and that yeah. was like something like, oh, I know those people, <laughs> mm-hmm. you know, and that was, it brought D&D back into the cool place. I mean, obviously Stranger Things has been huge for like the general populace, but there was a lot of those small things along the way. I, I think even for us, like Munchkin, the card game was not a really great game game, but it was again, another joke kind of system about D&D. So there was always a lot of those things out there. And a lot of board games have been tremendously influenced by role-playing games. In fact, I, I think over the last at least five to 10 years, there's been more lore, there's been more RPG elements in board gaming than I think there's ever been before. So, you know, and I think that's because role-playing games have, you know, popped back up in a real meaningful way and people are playing them and they love the story and they love to participate and yeah, I, I think it's, you know, all of the legacy games and board gaming and a lot of those kind of horror games, a lot of the Cthulhu stuff is, you know, goes back to all that kind of RPG Cthulhu theming and art, scary RPG monstrous kind of worlds. Not to mention, like you said, Will, all of the other fun stuff that all of the IPs, right? Any IP that's big enough or even sometimes small enough actually has an, R, has an RPG to it. So if you're a fan of anything... I can almost guarantee that there is a official RPG or some sort of homebrew, you know, off of the mainstream that you can find. So if you love a thing, there's a system out there for you somewhere. Absolutely. And I think that's uh, something to, to pay attention to. If you know what you're into, you can find an easy in to playing a tabletop game about it. Like I watched a bunch of voice actors from Mass Effect plays a reskinned version of a game that was Mass Effect. Um, you know, I've seen all these weird things of like, oh, there's this very niche indie version of something that, you know, a couple people worked on in their spare time. And now it's a faithful recreation of, you know, some cartoon from the 90s that you forgot, you know. Those kinds of things definitely exist, and it's a fun way to get involved. Yeah, and I think it's funny, too, because we, we see this now more in popular media than we've ever done before. So um, Vin Diesel, Joe Manlioni, Stephen Colbert, um, Dan Harmon had his own kind of live action kind of RPG system. Kevin Smith, obviously, is well known for being like 
somewhat the king of nerds back back in the day, Patton Oswald, Robin Williams was a, a big fan as well. So, I mean, I think there's a lot of celebrities out there. And, you know, if you catch the right channel, you could see a lot of them are playing, have their own games. And again, that must be an extraordinary experience to actually play an RPG with like professional actors. That's a little daunting. What kind of experience? (laughs) (laughs) How many Oscars did you win? And you're in this game. Maybe you want to bring it down a notch. The rest of us here, you know, not so much of the Oscar quality, but we appreciate it. We appreciate you being here. So, Will, obviously role-playing games, like you mentioned about the lore, you mentioned about the groups, and obviously some of the the basic equipment out there. And again, we talked about all the different IPs and the homebrews that are kind of involved with that. So a lot of that kind of stuff, especially with Kickstarter, and especially since the hobby has always been very niche, but has a very strong, dedicated fan base, these games have lived and flourished in areas and corners. And now obviously with Kickstarter and everything else out there, we're seeing a lot more independent stuff than we've ever done before out there on the market. So you don't have to deep dive into a bookstore or a comic book shop. Those things are out and available for purchase. So maybe you could talk about what what does it mean that there are all these indie RPGs? What 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 is that all about? Yeah, so I think one of the things that it means is um, it's sort of a symptom of a bigger ecosystem, right? If D&D is doing well, the big ones are there. Um, I talk to people about this sort of being like a quote unquote, like golden age for tabletop RPGs right now. Um, But it's a thing that's out there. And the interesting part of it is that, you know, you don't need to know a lot to design a game. You know, there are some skills involved, of course, but, you know, almost anyone can create one. And with the interesting platform of crowdfunding, it's a really cool opportunity that you can have somebody who has a day job doing something else and you know, for a very reasonable amount of time and money, put something up there. And if you're a fan, like you can get a digital copy of a new kickstarted tabletop RPG for like 15 or $20 and, you know, then have everything you need to play that game. And, you know, they, sometimes things happen, of course, on crowdfunding and everything, but, um, you know, it's largely already written. You're paying $15 to get a new game. There's something really cool about that, that I think, um, is sometimes hard to replicate in other hobbies and other situations. Um, but the other thing too, I think is really powerful about it is it allows a lot of different people to be involved in the RPG space where, you know, maybe there weren't those opportunities previously. And, you know, if someone has a good idea, you know, you can put it up on Kickstarter, it blows up on the internet and it makes multiple millions of dollars because, you know, it's just a good idea. And I think there's something to that uh, that is better than just, you know, who has the best publishing connection or who has the most seed money or something like that, you know? Yeah. And a lot of those get, you know, sometimes even published electronically, you can get PDFs. So you don't even need necessarily a hard copy or obviously it's a lot cheaper now and more available. Things are shared more than ever been before. And I think like you mentioned, we, we already talked about how there is a diversity of themes, but the entry level to play these games is rather low, right? Anybody can play an RPG. It's not something that's super complex. You don't need, you know, $100 worth of dice, although you probably will eventually buy $100 worth of dice because that's yes, what we all yes, do. We <laughs> Beware of the dice. That's that's the thing that draws you in. But anyone can play them. Anyone, any level. As Anthony mentioned, your kids kind of got involved in playing RPGs. So again, you get to set the pace. You get to set the tone as long as, again, you're not surrounded by 
world famous actors, then you should generally be fine with your friends at the table. Yeah. And I think that's something that's really powerful about it is like, there are, you know, RPGs specifically created for young children to teach them important, valuable lessons. Right. And there's games explicitly created for horror junkies that want to see the most horrific thing possible happen at any given time. And everything in between. Um, and I think that's really cool because it can be endlessly customizable. And also it's a low investment, right? Like if sure. somebody gets $20 for a digital PDF of something, and then that's all you need to, to get started for a group of people, like that's pretty cost-effective entertainment, assuming someone's going to run the game. So outside of like Dungeons and Dragons, which is kind of the big daddy of all kind of RPGs, what else is out there that people might know? I know Pathfinder's one. I know that's kind of an offshoot, so that's semi-popular. And I know that from the board game side of it, we've seen Pathfinder, the card game, which was kind of one-shots RPGs. Right, Anthony? We played that. Oh, yeah. Way back in the day. Yeah. Yeah. What else, Will? What else? What other systems? There's Cthulhu, right? The Cthulhu system has been out there scaring people for years. Vampire the Masquerade. (laughs) I think this is something else. Yeah, you've named pretty much most of the big ones so far. Nice, um, I did big it. Ones, yeah, you, you're pretty much there. Uh, <laughs> the only other thing I would add is maybe uh, Blades in the Dark is getting oh. more popular recently, um, which is like it's a much more like narrative problem solving focus rather than like a crunchy combat kind of focus, um, mm-hmm. which is popular for a lot of people. There's also a few other things that are just branded kind of things, like the Star Wars game is pretty popular. Um, the various iterations of that. Um, yeah, but that's pretty much all the big ones. And there's different systems, right? So not everything's a D20, right? Like, was it their fate system or something? There's different kind of dice systems that come into play? Yeah, yeah. So there's uh, the standard, like, D&D, like, D20. You have all the sets of dice and everything. Um, there's, like, fate, where there's also systems that are, like, plus or minus die, which a few different things use. Um, I've also played uh, like the Dragon Age RPG based on the uh, video games. Uh, it used the fantasy age system and it was like all D6s. Hmm. Um, so you could play it because everyone has like standard D6 die <laughs> sure. somewhere, right. um, which was fairly clever as far as the design theme went. But I've also been to things that like don't even have dice in some way. You use something else or you use like a coin flip or something or some sort of other artificial in. Uh, Thing you interact with yeah yeah well you you mentioned earlier and this is something i want to talk about because rpgs again we were talking about they come in any shape and size and we talked about the little small ones like you said the 20 dollar kind of you know pdf version of it but there's also global games i know anthony we've talked about this too where 50 100 people to get together and they play some sort of just like grand campaign or the aliens have landed or you're all founding fathers and you have to make these decisions about the Republic or whatever. Yeah. I will say there's a, a few different interesting ways that gets approached. Like, cause a lot of the root of a tabletop RPG is like a war gaming kind of thing, you know, move tanks around, and, sure. you know, sink battleships and so forth. Um, and so there's still some of that around where you can get these like massive people that come in conventions that are like hundreds of people and they like, play what is effectively a tabletop RPG for sure. you know, a whole weekend. Um, it's almost similar to like a risk kind of phenomenon, except just like writ much many orders of magnitude larger. Um, yeah. And there's like worldwide events and things. Um, one of the things that D and D does quite nicely is they do these like 
like adventurers league kind of things where like there's a campaign that everyone is playing but like your campaign is either a copy or like a small version of something um which is kind of a nice experience and you know i think that's really cool because there's so many ways to play them now like you can play by post on a forum you can play real-time chat on discord you can do voice chats you can do virtual tabletops so you know it doesn't even have to be a thing where like people fly across a country or drive to to meet in these big settings you know there can be as many people as you could fit on a message board honestly yeah and i think for, and an offshoot of that too is larping right probably should kind of throw that in there as well we talked about tabletop gaming card games miniature gaming obviously tabletop role-playing game but larping where you are role-playing actively like we talked about the big groups but now also foam swords because that's a thing which is also follows a, a particular system of like hits and attack and magic and defense and things like that as well and if you haven't seen one of those kind of take place you should because they're fascinating and excellent and i haven't played one yet i'm really jealous I, I have not had the formal pleasure either, but they are so interesting to watch. And <laughs> it's also like it goes hand in hand with the hobby, right? Like, yeah. I I will say I one of the movies I watched that really inspired me to play has like a whole thing where they go to a LARP and it's a whole situation. And they're like doing this live action role play of a game that they also play, which is like mm. this weird meta textual experience. Um, but also it's, it's fun. Like, you know, one of the things that's cool now is like, you'll get people that dress up while you're playing D and D. So it's like half LARP already. Um, so <laughs> nice. you get a little of that too. A little craft goes into it. Excellent. So, yeah, so there's a lot of ways to play a lot of IPs to kind of dabble with a lot of home brews, a lot of stuff that you can buy online, whether it's a one shot or it's a longer campaign. And then, so will, so if somebody is like, cool, I didn't know that these things existed. And I'm interested, and like we said, there's no real barrier of entry because you can find a system that works for you as far as your level's concerned, and you do have people around the table to kind of build up. Now, the mainstay of these tends to be, and I guess we'll, it'll eventually lead us into our big D&D discussion, but a Dungeons Master, right, or a Game Master to kind of lead things off. Now, that's a little bit more of a heavy lift than the players because you're creating a world. Can you talk a little bit about what that entails? Yeah, sure. So different systems call it different things. Um, usually it's Dungeon Master or Game Master or something like that, DM or GM, um, depending on how you look at it. Um, but I would describe it as like you're the person that is the main like storytelling kind of person. Like you are the one who sort of creates the setting, sets the scenes, puts all the pieces in place. Um, in some ways, you're the referee. Sometimes um, you're you're left to arbiter the rules if uh something is unclear. Um, so there is sort of an expertise component of it, I suppose, although you don't have to actually be that much of an expert. <laughs> um, <laughs> you can kind of just go with whatever seems cool and it works out. Um, but yeah, and often since it is a collaborative experience, I, you know, you create this idea and then you're responsible for helping keep it flowing, right? So you might have this perfectly wonderful plan set up and then like within three minutes, the players that you're playing with ruin it completely and light everything on fire. And then you figure out how to proceed the story from that. Um, and it's a cool experience. And there's also a lot of games that now approach this a little bit differently. It used to be a very traditional kind of, you're writing the story and creating this world and every character has a name within it and all of these things. Um, and now there's a lot of systems that are built to make it a little easier to get started where you can say, 
hey, you know, you don't need someone who's an expert on the rules. Here's how you do it. Or you pass turns. So everyone is equally responsible for it. There are even games which purport now to be DMless in that uh, you don't have somebody running the game. The game sort of runs itself and you, you know, each pitch in a little bit along the way. Um, and so that's a really cool thing. But, uh, you know, sometimes it's, I think, the most daunting role for people because you have this convincing that, like, you have to be, have something special. And I will say that uh, there are types. Um, there are some people that are forever DMs because that's what A, what they want to do, or B, because that's their skill set and that's what everyone asks them to do, um, which, you know, you kind of get pigeonholed after a minute. Um, but also, you know, it's it's a thing that, you know, even if you don't count yourself as the most creative person or the most rules aware person, um, you can really create a positive experience for a lot of people. And, you know, I know people who take turns, they've had years long campaigns and like for three or four months at a time, they switch off and so everybody gets a turn and you get to see how everybody would do things. So, And I think the thing also that's been interesting about hearing about the RPGs, especially the new ones that come to table, not only do they cover practically every intellectual property out there, but they're also are very inclusive to a broad range of people that traditionally, historically, were either not well represented or not represented at all or not welcomed as gamers to the table. So that seems to be something that's happening, especially in the independent or has historically happened in the independent realm and obviously moved on to the bigger markets, the bigger RPGs, right? Well, yeah, I would say that's pretty accurate. I think um, obviously there's sort of a stereotype of who your tabletop RPG players are. Um, and if you think about it, you know, it largely probably looks like a straight white guy who lived in his parents' basement kind of situation, um, which of course isn't true. Um, but there is a lot of uh, bias towards it, right? There's a certain kind of people that play it. And I think one of the cool things about especially crowdfunding and sort of the democratizing of the how you make those games is that there's space for people to make games about their lived experience for other people to experience. Um, and also that there's a lot of talent out there of people that have cut their teeth doing some of the other big things that have then made their own kind of system. And I think the best part about it is like it, it doesn't, some of them of course can come across as, you know, any way you might want to feel about it, but many of them are great great rpg systems like uh one of my favorites that's come out in the last few years is called thirsty sword lesbians which is the greatest title for any game that's ever been created but <laughs> it i mean it's an award-winning rpg and it is largely based on like some of the author's experiences watching media growing up and being lgbtq and translating that into a system that accurately like has fun with that and talks about that experience but also is you know a place for people to kind of be seen with that or to share that experience that you know maybe isn't covered in your baseline other RPG that exists somewhere. And I think that's one of the most interesting things about RPGs. We we get some of that when we play tabletop board games, when you get to play as a character or as a civilization. But when you play a role-playing game, you can actually play out someone else that you have never been or never conceived of. And that's somewhat of a liberating and introspective kind of experience. You're seeing the world from someone else's shoes, but also it allows you to kind of take a look at yourself as well. So um, I think that's a wonderful opportunity for all of us to kind of, you know, take a different perspective for a game session. 
Yeah, definitely. And I think one of the things that's cool is you combine it with sort of that that experience you get, as you said earlier, with like reading a fantasy book or a sci-fi mm-hmm. book, right? Where you get to see this new and brave, interesting, maybe worse, maybe better world. And then you get to play in it is the cool yeah. part. Like there's a game that's coming out that I'm really interested in called Swords Fall. And the premise of it is it's like, it's essentially like Wakanda from like Marvel, except mm. like what if the whole world was this like, not colonized African sort of utopia kind of situation. And like, it's super interesting. Cause like, you know, I watch the black Panther movie or read the comics and I'm like, Oh, that's really interesting. But for this, like it's a whole well thought out experience created by, you know, people of color that are like, this is what our imagined fantasy world is. And you know, it's, then you get to go live in it. You get to tell stories in it. You get sure. to, you know, play around with what they've created and in a way that, you know, maybe is novel, maybe that, hasn't existed or maybe people are thinking about that for the first time in a fully realized way. Yeah. So Will talking about taking something that's a concept out there previously somewhat developed or underdeveloped and kind of moving into to a broader aspect. D and D has kind of had that same history where again, it started very small, very intimate groups, um, I don't know, gentleman Gary Gygax, if you ever heard of him, he, he's kind of a thing in some places. And now we're in a time in a situation where D&D has blown up in a way that I don't think even, you know, Gary himself kind of envisioned. So can you take us through like the, the granddaddy of all RPGs, maybe a little bit about the history of it, why there's additions and where we are now? Yeah, sure. So I will be happy to share my limited understanding of this because I'll, I came in at 3.5, which is pretty far along the, the scope, I suppose. Um, but yeah, so originally it was a game designed by Gary Gygax to, to sort of replicate some of the wargaming experience. Those like big, crunchy sort of tabletop fighting, you know, armies against each other kind of things um, and create it into like a sort of a smaller, more personal experience. And you know, originally it was, you know, just a thing that he and his friends played around with, eventually got published. It kind of found an interesting niche. And that was when you got into like the sort of satanic panic kind of stuff, because it draws from mythology and religion of almost every major world tradition. Um, So you get demons, you have angels, and there's, you know, werewolves and stuff like that. Um, But, you know, over time, it was one of those things that as it continued to grow and as it became something kind of big, they needed to keep um, keeping it fresh and reissuing things and, you know, issuing rulings on rules that didn't exist and things like that. Um, And, you know, it sort of slowly expanded over time. It became sort of bigger and bigger with each edition. Um, And each edition kind of focuses on different things. Um, So as you had said, um, when you get into like 3.5 or 4E, um, those tend to be what people call really crunchy games where they're focused on like mechanics and you move this far and you swing this sword for this amount of damage kind of stuff. Um, And, you know, different editions have tended towards different things. So there were previous editions that were much more like kind of light on rules and more, you know, storytelling and, you know, let people do whatever they want to do kind of stuff. Um, But usually it's a pretty big deal when they update things because there are always adherence to the previous versions of the rules. Um, That's actually why Pathfinder exists because Pathfinder was a response to them moving to 4E. 
um, a lot of people played with 3.5 for a very long time and didn't want to change. And so they made their own game that was based off 3.5. But, you know, it's one of those things that they refresh and people have strong feelings about. And there are people that play the old editions to this day. Um, But it's also a it's a growth, I think, as it becomes a product and a system that tries to reach more people. Um, I would say I think their recent editions have been a, a lot of effort into making it easier to pick up more appealing to more people, um, you know, a lot more friendly to things. Like now they have online tool sets that like do all the math for you and they tell you what's legal and what's not. And there's a lot of support and you can find anything from it. Um, And I think that's a really uh, interesting experience that like it's grown to be such a big thing that it's now out there to kind of hold your hand a lot more than it used to be and like try to get you in and try to make it a, a kinder, friendlier experience rather than you know, you having to discover it uh, on your own in whatever organic way that it existed. Yeah. And especially, I think the current modern age is obviously, it's been here for a while. I know this because I bought a lot of books and they're beautiful and they're on my shelf and they don't get game time. It's upsetting. But then again, I have a lot of board games that that also happens with. So I, I can't be too mad about that whole situation. But primarily the stuff that's being played right now is fifth edition. So what is 5th edition and why should I care? What What's different about 5th edition? Yeah, so 5th edition is a lot more beginner friendly. It's also very, what I would consider to be very well balanced in that it is made to be combat is fun. It is made to be sitting around talking to people is fun. Um, it's it's try to meant, meant to cover all of the aspects of the game that you could reasonably get into. Um, And it's really nicely sort of plug and play. It plays nicely with a lot of things. There's a whole bunch of reskins of 5e. So if you like the rules part of it, it's easy to play. There's free, you know, there's supplements that you can buy officially from the store for Dungeons and Dragons that turn it into any number of other things. And, you know, if there's a fictional universe you like, I can probably guarantee you somebody has created a homebrew version using those rules, um, which is kind of cool. And also not for nothing, new stuff comes out all the time for 5e. And so all the new hotness and all the cool, interesting things that are coming out are coming out for that. And that includes like, you know, they're using new tools or they come up with interesting new types of characters that you can play and settings. Like traditionally Dungeons and Dragons is a very like, fantasy realm kind of situation, you know, elves, orcs, that kind of stuff. Um, And 5e just came out with a thing that's like, I don't know, uh, ships in space and, (laughs) you know, it colonies and travel through the endless blackness of space kind of stuff. Um, So it's kind of cool because it constantly progresses and it's a way to kind of play with something that's familiar, but also experience it across a whole spectrum of things. And I think that's the interesting thing too. If you if you're not playing D anD D, or if you've never played D anD D, you you have no idea that it's not just knights fighting dragons. It is. Uh, I don't even, I don't even know how. I, I don't think I can even wrap my hands around it. Will like you said, it's it's space. It's interdimensional. It's heaven and hell. It's and and yet at the same time, it's everyday life. That's part of what you're playing. Like you can run a store, like that's a thing you can do, or you can be a farmer or craft items or 
go on grand adventures or not. <laughs> so like, and then develop, you know, NPCs, non-playable characters. Just they're just doing things. They're there. They're for the lore, the stories. So it's a very vast world, but you get to pick what corner of the universe you really participate in and you want to play with. And I think that's also really, I think that's amazing that they've been able to incorporate all of the other genres on some level into this one game. And again, you can pick and choose what you want to, you know, participate in, which is a lot of fun. So um, the mundane to the very exotic. And I, and I think that's a lot of fun. Or again, depending on the DM, it could go very mundane, then go to the exotic <laughs> and then somehow go back <laughs> to the mundane because that's, that's a thing that happens in the world. So that's primarily fifth edition, which is like you said, still out there. New content is coming out for it. It's the main game everyone's talking about when they talk about RPGs and they talk about D&D. But that's not it, right? So recently they went to the next level or they went online. Can you talk about that? Yeah. So there's been an interesting trend. So originally there's been a bunch of tool sets that people created to to go along with Dungeons and Dragons. And this has kind of existed for several editions now because like the internet, of course, if you give them a problem, they're going to figure it out. <laughs> um and so what happened recently was the company that owns Dungeons and Dragons bought one of the most popular online tool sets for it and sort of now is integrating it in-house. Mm. So when you buy those really fancy books now, which I have many of back from like <laughs> 4E, right, that I never use again, but are sitting on a shelf somewhere. Um, now that you buy those, they're creating these bundles where you can buy the fancy book that you want to read in your house and you also get all of the content digitally, so you can use it with the digital tool sets, wow. which is cool in just like a, they're giving you more for your money kind of aspect. But the other cool thing about it is, it's actually something I use a lot, is using their online system. If you subscribe to their whole system, which you know they charge you for, of course, but you can actually share every book that you own with other players. So. I, as the dungeon master, can create the campaign and add six people into the campaign. And then I click one button and every single person in that has every book that I own wow. as long as they're in that campaign. So they can read all of it. They can use anything from it. And if I grow my library, they also get that as well. Um, and that's a really powerful thing because, like, look, those books aren't cheap. <laughs> I'm going to be <laughs> honest with you. And so like you can buy it, one person buys it or heck, you all go in on it and buy your little subscription and buy the books. Um, and then you can all use it for, you know, pretty much forever. Um, and they're also now looking to expand into what they can do with those tools. So their new thing that they're looking into um, as they revise the rules for a potential like half new edition, one of the things they're adding is a virtual tabletop where it'll be, like a 3D experience where you can look at it as if you were sitting at an actual tabletop and move the little miniature figures around and have your little combats and exchange the maps and talk to people and stuff. Um, they're starting to test this out. Um, and it sounds really cool. And a lot of people are, you know, uh, not super into it because they feel like it kind of tries to take the place of the regular tabletop, which of course we're here to be like, the regular tabletop is great, right? Um, but it's a really cool experience because I there's a game that I DM right now that takes place entirely through text. Um, and I got to tell you, like, it would do my brain a lot of good to be able to, like, look at this virtual thingy and be like, move here, do this. Um, because, you know, a lot of it's theater of the mind. You just kind of pretend and see what happens. But 
for a lot of people, there's an appeal to it. And like having a little digital mini that you can paint and move around and they have sound effects and stuff like that's pretty rad as far as I'm concerned. No, that's amazing. And again, it brings more people to the table and especially getting people to play since that seems to be the biggest challenge. It's, <laughs> it's, it's not, not only the monsters, it's getting people to the table. So if you could do it online, that really opens up a whole new world for you because, you know, the technology finally exists in a meaningful way that everyone can share, anyone can play, and you don't have to kind of recap every little thing because, as you said, your library is other people's library and it shares the experience. So, I mean, good for them. I mean, that's that's a really wonderful job of just really bringing the experience to a brand new and broader audience. So, yeah, yeah. I'm excited about that. Yeah, and I think it's really cool because, as you said, like getting people around the table – you can have a group of five people that really desperately want to play and still can't manage to just because <laughs> life is like that sometimes. Like the example I give is I joined a group of random people off of the internet, which kids at home don't always do that. It's not always a great decision. <laughs> but um, I did. And I joined this random group and they were playing an RPG based off of the Dresden Files, the book series. Oh, cool. um, it's an interesting RPG because you have to co-create the world of the RPG. So you have to sit down for like hours as you create the world you're going to live in. You all create your characters within it, how your characters are related to each other. We met at a game shop and we sat there for six hours creating it. We had the whole thing laid out and they were like, cool, we'll meet next week. And then we never met again. <laughs> oh no. <laughs> I was just like, oh man, this hurts. Like I had the character that I loved and we had the setting just perfect. And yeah, no. It happens. So anything that allows me to circumvent that a little bit more is very welcome in my life. I don't know. Well, I think you should get a group together to find your other group because yeah. I am worried. <laughs> Go on a quest. <laughs> this is true, right? Especially with the dressing files. Like, we created a really scary world and then the group disappeared. Like, mm, I don't know. Well, yeah. <laughs> you, you want to know the worst part is the world was based on the city we all currently lived in. Oh, no. So it was like this magical haunted version of a city we already live in. And I was like, dang, what happened? Like, did they get got? Did we accidentally figure it out? Like, Well, to be fair, well, like that group pulled off the best story ever, right? Because you could have played through that campaign. It wouldn't be as good as we created the scary city in which we live in. And then everyone evaporated. Like, Accurate. Yeah. That's what I tell you, kids. You have your Scooby gang. Stay together. Don't split up. Just stay together throughout throughout the uh, the hijinks, to say the very least. So, Will, you've taken us through a lot of different IPs and campaigns and things. Do you have a favorite? Yeah. So I will say that um, I am usually uh, to be found playing Dungeons and Dragons. Um, but I will say some of my pet projects are... I really enjoy RPGs that are based on existing properties because I think one of the coolest things you can do as a storyteller is take a bunch of stuff that already exists and just kind of make it your own. Um, sure. Do something kind of interesting with it. And of course, Dungeons and Dragons allows you to do that because you can create literally any world in Dungeons and Dragons. And, you know, I play a, a version that is a is skinned off of a popular online video game. And so it's like, we're playing that, but Dungeons and Dragons, right? So that's fun. But um, I really enjoyed, I played the Dragon Age RPG for a very long time um, and just wrote my own little adventures in that and like how it fits into the Dragon Age games. Um, and I really enjoyed playing the Star Wars RPG as well. I'm a huge Star Wars nerd. So there's like, you can do Star Wars 
the original trilogy. You can do the new ones. You can do the prequels if you want, you know, and it's cool that there's a lot of stuff out there for it. And so um, those are my big ones. I also really love the indie ones. So like if an indie comes out, that's like, here's this thing. And I don't know, this is the idea. Like there was one that they called Monsters in Merca. Um, and it was a post-apocalyptic <laughs> Mad Max capitalist America. And like, there's a dragon that's like Guy Fieri. It was fantastic. <laughs> um, so like any of those, I just throw my money at the screen whenever the Kickstarter comes up and like, hopefully they'll send me something about it later. That's so great. I, I, I fall into that trap. <laughs> yeah, I feel like I would fall into that trap if I could find a good group because I have like a whole shelf just full of them. We were talking about this before <laughs> we started recording because the, the yep. Monty Python Kickstarter went up a few days ago. And I was like, oh, I should get that. No, no, I'm not going to play that. I should stop doing this. <laughs> I've got a Witcher one sitting up there. I've got one for Keyforge. I've got, I think I have that Dresden Files one, actually. Um, I have multiple Star Wars ones, modern and like the 30th anniversary one from the, when we were kids. It's it's bad. It's bad, man. I got to get this stuff to the table. I, it's it's a problem because I, I mean, I'm, this, I'm worse with like board games because I just, my entire collection is just, I can't find anyone to play with, which is kind of ironic that we're here. Right. Um, but that is the whole thing. And like, I, if it's something that I'm kind of interested in, like I am so bad at the impulse control of that. Like they did a thing that was Pacific Rim, the movie. And I was like, <laughs> yep, sold. Like, I don't even know what the rest of it is. Like, stop telling me you already told me everything you need. To yeah, yeah, yeah. Giant robots. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. I actually, I think I still own it. I'm, I'm pretty sure I still do. I have um, Robotech. I have the, oh, nice. the, the original source books for that too. And I'm just like, I, you love the anime? What? Play the game. I'm like, yay. And then never played it. But like, I could tell you what the armor class is for every mech in that book and what kind of rockets go on. And just like, oh, I feel so happy about that. I don't know why. It just feels <laughs> just, it's, it's good to own. And again, even being a big, as same as you will and obviously Anthony too like we're we're all big Star Wars fans. I didn't hear anything after original you know trilogy but okay. Um but beyond that was a lot of the comic book stuff. Back in the day Marvel was pretty much on board for a lot of this too and and I think DC and and some of the independents because I remember picking up one shots for some of the really super obscure comic books out there where it would be just honestly like very thin cardboard, but it would just be, you know, almost like a folder and it would have the rules on the inside and it would have some, you know, graphic on the thing. And you could play that, that comic book character in that world. And again, what, you know, what kid, what fan would not want to play out that world in some way. And I think you, you mentioned too, Will, about like the meta of this. We, we talked about this at one point, like what if, we play Star Wars, the RPG, and then transition to Star Wars Armada, which is the giant capital miniature ships, and then transition to Star Wars X-Wing miniatures, so the smaller ships, and then transition to Star Wars Legion, which is the the, the you know the figures on the board, and then transition to like we we kind of boiled, we went down, <laughs> we went down a hole because there's so much content for that. But again, you could do that, right? The RPG could lend a bigger scope and epic story to your ward game tabletop stuff. Oh, absolutely. And the honest thing is like, 
as you were talking about that, like part of my brain was like, that makes me hurt. Why did you say that to me? And the other half of my brain was like, that sounds awesome. I have so many ideas for how we could do this. So yeah. And that's the thing is like, you can mix and match and combine all of these things. Like the game of people I play with, that's like based on an online game. Like we're going to play that game together and go and meet as our characters in that. And nice. also like play the tabletop version. Right. And I think that's a really cool you know, option because those things all exist. And that's actually one of the cool things about the the relative dominance right now of Dungeons and Dragons is that there's a lot of Dungeons and Dragons stuff. So there's like five minute card game, there's two hour board game, there's the RPG campaigns that can last forever. There's video games. Um, so it's sort of ubiquitous in that way. So also sure. if it's something that you're not super like, I don't know if I could do the tabletop RPG you could go play a game that uses the exact same rules and does all the math for you. You just click the buttons, you choose the dialogue choices. Um, and that's really cool because, you know, that's some of the ways in which I got into these kind of games, you know, sure. old school games that use that system. Yeah. And I think he, obviously video games too, they benefited off of this as well. As Anthony was talking about the Witcher, all of those, you know, games in which you can choose a dialogue tree, right. And you could pick out the different dialogues that go along with it. It builds the RPG elements and then obviously all the Japanese role-playing games that we've played, video games and obviously anime and manga and stuff like that. So, so much inspired by the original Dungeons and Dragons system that came out so many years ago, but really plays so much a part in our social gaming activities and also with other people, right? So, so much of gamification, you know, or, you know, team building or any kind of role-playing in order to get like people on the same page or develop skills and things like that. There's so many different applications for working with people in that context where they can step out of themselves and step into a new pair of shoes with a new context, a new perspective, a new horizon and make different decisions and understand themselves in different ways and engage in, in a universe that is fun and engaging. As you mentioned, Will, with whatever level of complexity you want from no complexity, just to have some fun. Like as a kid, like you played with your action figures and you told stories to like hard, crunchy spreadsheets with like armor classes and, you know, and modifiers and endless numbers of dice and stuff like that. So there's something for everyone. And I really think that's really important to say because as tabletop gamers, we often, you know, want to get this stuff to the table. It's hard to get to the table, but also it's daunting the whole system seems very daunting to get to the table, but it shouldn't be because there's something for everybody. And like, Will, you've been telling us you can find it out there. It's there and you should get to the table, even if it's in a very small way. Yeah. And I would say that, you know, you can get it there in a lot of different ways. Um, I played a game that was in the same universe, two different characters. And one of them was like the smart leader of the group is the mover and shaker of everything involved in everything. And that was fun. And then, I decided I didn't want to do that anymore after a minute. And so I played a very dumb goblin who <laughs> hit people with sticks. There you go. And I just checked out a half the game because people would be talking with big words and, you know, convictions. And I'd be like, all right, I'm going to be over here picking my nose in a role play situation. And like, y'all let me know when something needs to get smacked with something. And that was a totally different way to experience the game. But it was so much fun because I could just sit there and think of dumb jokes to say the entire time while everybody else handled the rest of it. And, you know, both are valid. <laughs> Very much so. 
Well, Will, thank you so much. We're so glad to have you here for you know a full kind of explanation and walkthrough for role-playing games because getting games to the table and getting people to the table is so essential for our general happiness and our experience of just, I don't think it's beyond, say, our humanity, right? You know, understanding ourselves and other people and, man, getting some great games to the table. All right, everyone. So that's everything for this time. Until next time, this is Chris. This is Anthony. This is Will. And we'll save you all a seat at the table playing RPGs. See ya. Bye. Bye.